Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Always Be Testing podcast. And I am your host, Ty DeGrange. I am very excited to talk to Brian Marcus. What's up, Brian? Hey, Ty. Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. It's going to be a good one. So for those of you who don't know, Brian Marcus is the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Impact. And I would say one of the most experienced professionals in affiliate marketing Hands down, some may have called him the uh, the godfather of affiliate marketing, or maybe the Yoda, don't do it. I know how you talked about. <laughs> 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 I feel like I'm listing out all your your nicknames uh, without you. Do you. Are those true? Well, Yoda, I'll take from the wisdom standpoint, but not from the age standpoint. That uh, <laughs> I'm not quite that old. But uh, I've been around for a while, so perhaps it, it's fitting to say that in this space. If there's a Yoda, you know, you know, they probably experienced some of the things I've seen and I've done. Yeah. What were some of the other ones, Ty? I feel like uh, the godfather of soul <laughs> rock and roll gets thrown around a lot. So I thought maybe, you know, could be applicable for your experience level and affiliate. Well, I do love music and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in time. So uh, there are some hints of truth to those, but uh, uh, you could just call me Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. It works. So excited to dive in and share some of your knowledge and experience with the listeners out there and in, in, the, in the community that we're in. You know, maybe you can start off by sharing with people a little bit about your background and how you got into this space in the first place. Sure. I, you know, I, I literally, um, when I like to think of, I go back a, about two decades plus in this space and try to figure out how I ended up here. I often think about the fact that I almost literally fell into affiliate marketing, uh, and I, I think a lot of people, when they're in this space, fall into affiliate marketing. For me, it was um, really on the early days of e-commerce, as someone who had graduated business school and was sort of thinking through what, what my next steps were going to be, e-commerce was uh, just starting out, and I had a, a good shot at uh, working in e-commerce for an old cataloger, 100-drill cataloger, specialty types of items. I applied the same kinds of concepts of marketing as I, as I, uh, offline, as I, I thought sort of online. And I took over as the head of internet marketing for a cataloger. And I ended up actually finding all sorts of really interesting things about marketing channels. A number of marketing channels that the cataloger didn't use included things like paid search, comparison shopping, data feeds like eBay. And I worked for a, an auto, a specialty auto accessories company. There was this thing called affiliate marketing, where I had one person working, running two networks, a network called Performix at the time, and a network called Commission Junction. And uh, that person was really in charge of what was our one of our largest channels, and one that I knew little to nothing about. And so as I uh, was starting to dig in, uh, new to the job, freshly minted MBA, trying to figure out all the metrics. And uh, I really had some really 
deep questions about this channel. Like, well, what is this thing? And, and where, you know, how does it work? And why do we have two of these networks working for us? Who's in them, et cetera. So I, I dove in a whole bunch and that's where I got my first taste of affiliate marketing was, was really diving in to figure out what seemed too good to be true and why was it so good. And, uh, that's where I got my first taste. I love it. It makes me think of if one were to come in fresh now, what would they think? What would they say? Would it be a similar reaction that you had as a freshly minted MBA seeing all the, the things that were going on? I think affiliate, I, I hope at least, and I think there's been quite a bit of maturity built into the affiliate channel since the time that I, I stumbled into it. Um, but I think there is no less mystique around it in some ways because it's a channel of all different types of entities on the web. I mean, it's very hard to put it into one box. And if you were to say, is it paid search? You know, that's very clearly defined by what it does, how you optimize it, what levers you have. And in fact, it's in some ways automatic and programmatic. So you can go put a coin in and figure out what you want it to optimize. So it hasn't, I'd say the number of permutations in affiliate marketing and ways to make money, ways to monetize, ways to grow continue to change. That's one of the defining characteristics of affiliate. So you'll never answer all those questions. And in fact, that's probably the beauty of it, right? Is it is an ever-changing and evolving channel. But I'd say today, hopefully, people come into digital marketing programs knowing that affiliate marketing is likely your top one or two drivers of growth. If you're in the retail space, if you're in the financial services space, even in now B2B and in other places, affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, business to business marketing, those are the drivers outside of the, the core channels that really grow the business. I actually teach a course at uh, University of Washington on affiliate marketing. And I, I, I made it my point to uh, actually go in there and build it into the curriculum. I actually started on the advisory board and I was able to convince them, given my work uh, at, at eBay, that you know this is a substantial drive that all digital marketers need to know. And they asked me to not only describe it and write a class on it, but to teach it. And so I go in, at least now these days, I go in once a half and I teach my my class and uh, and I ensure that people coming into the world getting their digital marketing certificate know that affiliate marketing is a big driver. And I actually usually recruit one or two people out of the process because I find out who's who's really who gets really excited about it. I love that. It's a, it couldn't be better, and it's such an awesome ideal individual to do that and to be an evangelist and educator for for something that is you know, as we have talked about, it can be very misunderstood, but at the same time, if it's managed correctly, it can be so valuable and so impactful for brands. As you kind of identify the the future stars of affiliate marketing, what was it that kind of sealed it for you? You kind of alluded to some of those characteristics, but when you were going through that discovery process, where was your uh, maybe aha moment that was like, oh man, this is really interesting to me. I want to work in this field or what clicked for you? What clicks for me about the channel and what clicks for me when I find people that I want to hire and, and to bring on board is, is actually the same thing. It's, it's where the moment 
that everything that you used to see one way completely changes. And so affiliate marketing, much like that movie, the Mat- it's like the matrix, right? I always tell my students, you can't unsee it. And so when I first started, when I asked the question, what is this thing and how does it work? And I started getting a number of examples of it and different business models that comprised it. I started to realize that it was everywhere and it was omnipresent. And, and it was something that I could almost see in almost any interaction or transaction that took place on the web. I, I could now trace those movements from my click to someplace else, some other destination, and find myself buying, and I couldn't unsee it. So I think the the moments for me that really make this a special channel is the fact that it's part of practically everything we do. It really boils down to referral in many ways, not the classic customer referral, refer friend, but the idea that some entity, some information takes you from where you are to where you need to be, in this case, a buying opportunity or an opportunity to get interested about a product. And that entity, that that publisher, warms up your experience. I like to call them like pre-sellers. They're value-added pre-sellers. They take your where you are going, they intercept you and inject value into the transaction so that by the time you land on a landing page or you're about to go buy something, you've got something of value that you didn't have before, and you're more primed than ever to go buy. Yeah, it jumps into my brain. I feel I feel it in my the unseen comment really resonates with me. And you think about like Wall Street Journal's buy side, you think about Wirecutter, what great examples, right, of of kind of presenting that discovery and sharing that education with consumers. And you know, it's funny, I I didn't share this with a ton of people, but the NFL did a kind of collaboration with Google recently where they were touting the NFL and they were like Aaron Donald was like cruising into the stadium with his like decked out suit looking good and had like a designer bag. And it was all about that kind of fan experience and then making that shoppable. And I thought, wow, there it is. Another example of affiliate marketing in a a great context. Yeah. It's almost like any surface is game. I mean, you, you can't think of an opportunity if there's content, there's an opportunity typically in our type of world these days where uh, things become shoppable and you're creating, um, you're facilitating that for someone who's going to do it anyway. So the, the point is, if you have an interest or a passion around a certain topic and you're, you're publishing content out there already, this is an opportunity for you to, to be able to create an audience and prime that audience uh, for something that you love or something that you're very interested in. And who better to serve you those that information than someone who knows their their stuff versus some um, call it sort of, sort of poorly targeted ad an ad that doesn't know who you are doesn't care about the things you care about just wants to get you to to buy i mean this is really about a trusted source a source that is able to anticipate the questions you may have and or help you compare and or help you go deeper into a product for the case of wall street journal or, or any of those content sites where you can actually find out a whole lot of information about something that you need to know, armed and ready to go to buy. Love it. Yeah, what a great what a great context and a way to tee that up. You've had some awesome experiences in your career and some big brands and, and great ones. Uh, we talked a little bit about Google and you know, just curious to kind of share maybe some of the interesting learnings that you gathered from that experience. 
So Performix, uh, just for by way of context, Performix was uh, acquired by DoubleClick, and DoubleClick was acquired by Google. In the span of about eight and a half years, my same team, you know, the wallpaper changed a whole bunch every couple of years. And, <laughs> and at one point, it became very bright primary colors, and we found ourselves <laughs> at Google. And one of the, the most amazing things that really happened to our team is Number one, we were a fully contained unit. So we were based in Chicago and uh, Performix uh, was based in Chicago. And so our entire leadership team, for the most part, was based in Chicago. And we operated our Google affiliate network, what became a Google affiliate network, out of our Chicago office. So we were the only team like that. So meaning there was no other affiliate team. There was no other leadership team that knew it. We were the experts in affiliate. And we landed at a time where content was becoming much more important. Affiliate marketing was, was we were sitting in the same rooms as the AdWords teams talking about the same budget at the same time and trying to help them figure out where they want to allocate. And we also found ourselves early on, and this is what probably got us before we were able to launch, change our name from Performix to Google Affiliate Network. We were able to actually help Google achieve something that I think today, when I look back on it, it was pretty miraculous. Because we had contracts, performance-based contracts with over 300, 400 top retailers and direct-to-consumer at the time or direct response types of, of, of brands, they already had embedded pricing models and contracts with those clients through us. And they wanted to test their first ever sort of product-based ad. And they had to find a quick way to go do it. And it was right before the holiday season. And who better to help them launch that as a test than our team? And so my team at the time, um, I know we skipped a few steps to, to get me there, but I was running client services. I was running over a thousand programs, and uh, many of which were retail clients. I became sort of at the center of this test where they were trying out what became product listing ads helping them take it from this concept to a reality to getting to the point where they had to figure out how we're going to how we're going to stop it or start it at scale I should say uh, make it scale up much wider than it was so I got an opportunity just as one example to be at this place you know we all found ourselves there this world where anything can happen and uh, our little team which had very little brand recognition performance double click, all of a sudden, we became a real go-to spot for how to scale up what would be product-based ads in the search engine. And it became so successful so quickly that they literally had to take it away from us immediately in order for it to scale because we were too small of a team. And we didn't have the technology at the time to be able to scale it up. But it was pretty wild. That's awesome. Yeah. To, to be able to say that you, know, you were the, the small group in charge of testing you know, a digital product ad as ubiquitous as product listing ads and as powerful and as what such a big percentage of the, the marketing mindshare, right? For a lot of performance marketers, it's cool that you were part of that on the ground floor. It is. I, I believe it's their, one of their best, if not best products that they now, uh, it's their, their best moneymaker, so to speak. And so to think that that came out of that, I mean, I remember sitting actually in a meeting uh, I got called into a video conference and there I was like airdropped into this room with uh, Susan Wojcicki and Dennis Woodside, who ran the mobile business at the time. 
and a whole bunch of other Googlers that like, you know, getting access to, it was like, I just, I was in the middle of this and they were saying, how do we make this bigger? What do you need? How many people do you need? How do we know it's not eating into our search business? Like all these questions that very quickly came into focus when I realized that we had hit something really powerful. And uh, it was, it was humbling to say the least to be, uh, to go from uh, Chicago, uh, affiliate agency to this, to the center of gravity. And, um, and I think it actually, I can't quite remember the order of events, but one of the things that we wanted to do as double click performance was to really start to associate a better way of doing affiliate marketing with Google. And so we boldly went after the name Google affiliate network, pairing the world's best brand with a, I'll call it at the time a fledgling sort of marketing channel that needed some authority <laughs> and some gravity to it. And we were able to convince them that this was the right time to start to step up the profile of affiliate marketing. And what better way to do that than to put the Google brand behind it? And we launched as Google Affiliate Network, which was another great, wow. exciting moment uh, at the time. Absolutely. I mean, so many big things you've achieved in the affiliate world. I mean, it, it almost makes me think of, you know, how much did that moment and that evolution improve and move forward the industry that we know is affiliate marketing i don't know if you have a thought on that but i'd love to hear it given you kind of went through it i do have a thought on it and um you know i i I gotta like really put it in perspective i think one of the things it really enabled it sort of well so google affiliate network didn't actually last forever and i think the biggest impact it had no, no pun intended, as we will start to talk about impact, is that one of the things that when an affiliate network of the size of Google Affiliate Network and Commission Junction, other, other, when big events happened, it shook the world that you could feel it. It was like a cataclysmic sort of event where if something like a, a brand like Google Affiliate Network shuts down or CJ loses a big client, you know, everybody feels it. And in the case I had left Google Affiliate Network at the time, uh, about a year before they uh, they ended up shutting down. But what I do know is the clients that we managed, the the brands under our purview, were the largest retailers and largest financial service companies in the world. And when and Google was their trusted source to bring them affiliate marketing traffic. And when that shut down, it gave them some some opportunity to sort of look under the hood. And to figure out how much control they wanted to, how much they wanted to invest in this channel and who are the right players to invest in. So that opportunity alone set off a chain of events where a number of the largest retailers and financial services companies were looking for a new home. And in that question and quest to find a new home, they had to ask themselves, could we build this ourselves? Can we lease the software? Do we go with the network? And I think that actually that sunset became the sunrise for uh, the SaaS industry and opened up some really great doors for players like Impact to be able to show what they had already been building and companies like Tune where they had already been building SaaS products. And so um, that was the opportunity that it created. And because of that, I think it showed a real maturity of the business itself that uh, a channel which was very hard to manage initially and very very wild west, very un- hard to contain, all of a sudden became doable not only by yourself, but with tools that you could use and lease and run your own program where control 
in the case of like an eBay program where you had full control over your entire partner network, you could build your own tools. That was one extreme. Or you could go to someone like Impact and you could let an expert who does nothing but build these these platforms all day long uh, manage that software for you. Or you can go to a network where the size and scale takes some of the takes some of the burden off of you. And I think that that was the moment that the industry changed again. I like to think that at least that was moment. Yeah, what an amazing segue. And I think you know you you and I got to experience the eBay experience in different ways in different times and. That was just just such an example. You know, it's where you were after Google Affiliate Network, after Performix, and they were kind of the the shining example in some ways of of building it. You're building it. Maybe an interesting question, and maybe it's a little too philosophical for some in the audience. But I'm curious to know: Do you think there? What's a, is there cases where you really advocate for brands to really strongly consider? maybe a build. And, and I know that may be counter to the offering of impact, which is obviously a great solution and your current employer. And we've collaborated on a number of things, but I'm curious to know is that, is there cases where you kind of say, Hey, you might want to consider that or a hybrid or, you know, cause I think there's people out there that probably think, well, I can, I can build it all myself. That, that's the Holy grail. How do, how would you coach maybe a brand on that? I look at it as a question of core competencies, right? So, you know, eBay, one of the reasons I went to eBay is from Google directly was it was an opportunity to build a product and um, eBay was heavily invested in building their own software. They believed that at the time that the control was the most important thing. They had run into a ton of uh, issues with fraud. And the only way they could actually get into the, stay in that space was if they had controlled 100% of the experience. So, at that time, I think maybe that at, at that time, that was the reason why you'd go build your own product is you have you have low, low trust in the software and the industry, and, but you need to participate. It's a necessary evil and you have to live with something. So what better way to do that than build it yourself? I mean, that's an edge case today these days, and I can explain why that is. But I believe that um, if your business is to run a network of affiliates, maybe you should build it yourself. Um, if you're not in the business of, of running an affiliate network, there is no great reason to do that because there are those that spend nothing but all of their time thinking about those issues and the issues you wouldn't be thinking about unless you were running a software platform. And that's that's actually the conclusion I came to at eBay. I mean, I went to eBay really, and, and I think eBay was an amazing experience. I had a tremendous team. I had access to resources that were second to none. I mean, it, it is it was really a dream for me to be able to run a channel and run a marketing channel and build a product at the same time within one of the most innovative companies really on the internet. And what I really quickly realized though at the time was the issues themselves that you face when you when you run an affiliate program, they are many. <laughs> and the, the, what, I, what I mean by that is you're dealing with so many distinct types of partnerships, so many forces of nature like fraud and mm -hmm. emerging business models, et cetera, that unless you have a core competency in those areas, you are always playing catch up. And at eBay, I realized at that time that I was there, we were quickly not going to be in a position, we ran a, a very, very large program and we we're 
quickly not going to be in a position where we could stay out in front of those those trends. And uh, that's what got me thinking and getting really interested in the concept of SaaS, which was actually a new a new concept at the time, and letting somebody else do that stuff so we could focus on the things that really mattered, which were the partnerships themselves. And so I would say, back to your question, I mean, if you have a case where you uh, your business is, it, it'd be hard to imagine actually a business that is so low trust that they'd want to actually go into a channel unless they felt compelled to do so. And maybe that's the only case I could think of yeah. where by building it yourself is the only way to to do that. I just think there's a lot of potholes and issues with that. Yeah. And they not, you know, we, we, in some ways, you know, live through them in different moments. And I think your experience is spot on given you were leading that, you know, entire program. And I feel like what your statement is, it was around is at that moment in time with the available technology, the size of their program, given the pain points they went through, it certainly made a heck of a lot of sense to say, we're going to, we're going to build this, we're, we're going to own the experience. And where now fast forward, a lot has changed in SaaS and, you know, enter, you know, your next experience in tune and now it impacts. So I think that's a really good kind of segue in your career progression. I think that was kind of my assessment of what you shared, which is awesome. It's funny. I mean, the tune and impact worlds, this is such a small space that like I literally experienced them together at the same time at one place. And it was actually the day that uh, Google Affiliate announced they were shutting down. I was actually at an event. Gino Prusikoff had an event uh, in San Francisco. And uh, at the time, Todd Crawford, I believe, was speaking uh, at that event, uh, as were the folks at Tune. They were in the other room pitching SaaS software. And I was there talking about eBay's program and how, at the time, I believed you shouldn't be actually leasing software from somebody else or, or doing that. I was actually convinced at that moment in that place that I was wrong. And so I checked my assumptions upon leaving that event going, okay, well, this is interesting. Like my world of running your own deal with 16 engineers of your own, building your own software to do something when it's not your core competency, it, it may be that that idea may be limited. And it was really interesting. I, I, I met a number of people that day that I think that moment was like an, an inflection point in my career where I sort of said, I think I was even asked at that show, hey, do you see this only for companies like eBay? And I was like, you need the scale, you need the name to run your own program. And little did I know at that time how fast technology would progress. Little did I know about all these things that have come together to make it much more accessible for anybody who wants to run a program, large or small, and uh, the world has changed quite a bit in a very short period of time. So it's uh, it's nice to yeah. look back and see where you're wrong, and to see yeah. to I, see where how interesting the world turns out. Well, I think that's a really good pivot point and like elaboration on you as a leader and as a person as a marketer. And I think that the stronger, high EQ, high intelligence capable folks that are in the game that are willing to kind of change their position and not necessarily be holding on to those data points or beliefs or positions that that do change and evolve. And so I think it's really commendable to you to, you to kind of see that trend coming when you did and, and know when it was time to pivot position in, in a way that was real based on data in the industry. We, you know, and I think that that's 
impressive. Not everybody is able to kind of catch that next wave in an appropriate fashion as you did. I've had some really great mentors in my day. I mean, I go back to Stuart Frankel at Performix, who ended up riding the wave of AI, uh, machine learning AI, finding a company called Narrative Science, where I learned really a lot about the space in, in pivoting. Uh, Dan Green over at GAN, Google Affiliate Network, he was a Navy pilot prior to coming to Google, and he taught, taught me a lot about sort of just facing facing different scenarios and learning how to prioritize like what's really important, what's not. And then Robert Chatwani over at uh, eBay, who really, I mean, he took me, it took a, a real special person to get me to dislodge myself from Google and to try something so unique as eBay that he actually had some very big ideas for what I could do there. And I think that that mentality, if you're going to be in the uh, affiliate performance marketing and now even beyond that, uh, the creator space, referral, customer referral space, you need to have a mentality that everything changes all the time. And you have to, you have to be testing, right? Isn't that the name of this podcast, <laughs> right? You have to be willing yeah. to enjoy that uncomfortable place where you may in fact be wrong. Yeah. So uh, it's been fun to, to learn from folks like that in my past. I love that. Yeah. I mean, he, there's so many talent, uh, talented people that have come out of the organizations you've been a part of. And eBay was uh, certainly a, an example. And I've heard some amazing things about Robert. And, you know, for him to be able to kind of weave that story and support and, and see the, the talent and potential is, is impressive. And I've heard multiple people say great things about his leadership. I got to experience some of that myself. And, I, and maybe it's an interesting thought of when you're building out teams, when you're looking at building out the right talent and the right time and right C and capabilities. What are some of those things that you're kind of trying to optimize for as a leader as you've, you've really been a great one over the years in this space? What, maybe what's things that folks should maybe think about or maybe stuff that you see is lacking? I'd love to hear maybe your perspective for either leader leaders or aspiring leaders or what you find. I do look for people who have the capacity to sort of shape shift in different scenarios, being having a good mix of emotional intelligence and critical thinking. And I think that's a great blend. Uh, I'm a liberal arts student from a very small liberal arts college, and I learned very quickly that it's good to know a lot of things about a lot of things and to be tuned in because you can you can actually participate in many conversations and be able to have points of view on things having a broad view of things. Uh, I also learned from consulting, and I spent 10 years in consulting before I ever uh, got to e-commerce, that patterns, pattern matching and being able to see patterns and be able to sort of elevate them and use those as frameworks, those capabilities of being able to take a situation, generalize it, and then apply it are very, very uh, interesting to me. And I typically find myself associated with people from my teams that understand the value of frameworks, understand the value of how to, the theory and the application. And that's worked well for me. Um, and then lastly, I think some of the things I'm learning from being at places like Google and eBay, it's about people who see the possibility. And I think possibility, having an openness uh, and a curiosity to explore and not be satisfied with just what you got and taking that extra step, not being told to do so, those are the types of people that tend to do well on my teams, uh, they're teaching me and they're, they're showing me 
things I never, I never thought about. And so I really, uh, I tend to be a, a person who is not afraid to say when I don't know something. And I, I tend to be the first to say when I do, when I do know something. So I think there's times and places for you to exert ex- your expertise. And one of the things that I, I really, one of the things I love about this space is it's given me an opportunity to develop a deep knowledge in something. And that's when, when I'm in the, at the UW teaching my class and, and I see that person that like really wants to go deep on something and is like not bored by the topic of CPA, you know, you know, you found something pretty special. And I've, I found a couple of great students that I was like, immediately was like, you're the, the, the eyes, you know, it's like, I know you, <laughs> I understand you come work for me. Let's figure love something it. out. I love it. That, you know, recruiting kind of community mentality that it kind of sucks you in when, when you find like-minded individuals, it's awesome. And people that don't always think like you is also like, I I really want to make sure it's clear. Like, I don't look for just people like me. I actually think diversity and thought is the, is the way to build a great decision and a great set of goals and and solutions. So I look for differing points of view and different, just diversity and thought, I think is really important. Yeah. The diversity and thought resonates big time. That's a, that's a key one. And maybe, um, for building product for the next topic, like what do you think is, is maybe something to be mindful of when you, when you're kind of, you know, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about affiliate marketing, we're talking about performance marketing, we're talking about building product, you know, are there kind of specific things that you kind of look for in, in that, in that recipe of building product and, and thinking about product in this industry and maybe perhaps others? It's really, it's no different than any industry. You really have to be focused on your customer. You have to really think like your customer and understand the different, I guess, not to sound cliche, the pain points that they they encounter. Yep. One of the reasons I stay in this space is that, and especially today as I'm working in product marketing, I feel like I, I have been that customer. I know that I've been the customer and I've been on multiple sides of this business, like thinking about it from an advertiser perspective, from a publisher perspective, and a network perspective. I've run acquisition programs that, uh, in, you know, we spent a tremendous amount of money driving uh, with very large companies. And at the same time, I also worked very closely with product marketers and product management folks that uh, turn these ideas into requirements. And so um, I like to think of myself as someone who thinks deeply about the customer and understands this this business. And I think as a product management team, you have to be super focused on those things. That's what should drive absolutely everything you do. And I think that, you know, in a business like ours, where you have so many different types of buying centers, I mean, we are in the uh, performance space where we serve affiliates, affiliate marketing programs. We're in the, the influencer space where we serve creator programs. Recently, we acquired a company that is in the customer referral space, which which serves actual individuals, micro-influencers, if you will, that want to help companies grow um, just because they love the product. That creates quite a bit of mental gymnastics when you're trying to prioritize your product roadmap and think through what's important and, and what goes first and what goes last. So, I mean, it becomes very, very complex in a business like ours. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Maybe a little segue um, 
because we could get nerdy on on product stuff much longer. But maybe give us a little bit of background on Lollapalooza, Google. There's a little story there. What, what, what do you got for us? Yeah, one one of the things you learn when you work when you work at Google is you do have these things they call the sort of your Google moment, right? It's like you are in this really amazing place in environment where it feels like again back to possibilities almost anything is possible moonshots mm-hmm. and so one of the things uh, so i'm a i'm a big music fan and uh, i'm a writer i believe in uh, I, I think music is a, a lot of what sort of inspires me and uh, i had an opportunity at google i was one of the um, we actually were while well, Lollapalooza was in chicago the head of our office at the time uh, jim lasinski had offered up to the office He's like, hey, if anybody's interested, I want to build a Lollapalooza experience in the Google office. Text me. Here's my number. And tell me if you want to sign up and you go run that thing. We'll, we'll open all the resources of Google to you. And I literally, by the time he had finished the sentence, <laughs> I had a, a, a note in, on, his, on his phone. He was like, oh, we got one. And it was me. Um, and I said, I want to I lead it. I want to figure out what we're going to do with it. And then I want to create an experience that, that lives on. And uh, that's what we did. We actually, that year, Google Plus was launching and they had, they had taken over one of the stages um, that was already purchased and they, they did it like a, a reveal. And on that stage, we were given opportunities to go work with a number of different bands that were already playing that stage. And I got thrown right in the thick of it. I had to figure out, number one, how am I going to put on a show in a office building in downtown Chicago? How am I going to um, invite people fairly and get them into this this room? And then third, how do we create the environment of Lollapalooza? So multiple things around music in our office that day. How do I create that? And so um, I actually built this thing called uh, Google Palooza, which I'm sure was trademark infringing uh, at the time. And, I, and I'm sure if they knew <laughs> that I was doing it at the time, they probably would have shut me down pretty quickly. They shut down my T-shirt pretty quickly. We have I have a vintage uh, Google Palooza T-shirt still in my drawer. But uh, we got the band Cold War Kids, uh, who, of course, I didn't really know much about at the time, but they were big, and they were headlining one of the stages. I got them to come in the office, play a rooftop set. We got the YouTube folks that were new at the time at streaming to, to well, they, they taped the event, actually. It was the guy who uh, filmed Coachella. Um, he he actually came in and he filmed the event and I got to interview him, introduce him, take him around. And then I also built a stand for um, in our lunchroom for the guy uh, who worked. He was a collaborator with Lady Gaga. This guy, DJ Shadow, came in and he worked the cafeteria. And I also got a woman who ran one of the was a head of industry. Her husband owned a studio in Chicago where they used to record cable cable TV shows with every band you've ever imagined, we got them to host one of the smaller bands and put on a concert. Like it was honestly, it was outside of affiliate marketing, which I, I, I tend to think is a, among the most fun things I get to do. That moment, uh, I got brought my wife to the office. We we were just like in heaven, and to this day, I I really think that that was a, a highlight of bringing together the things I love and and making them work, making it work out. I love that. It doesn't get any better than that. Kind of combining all those those awesome things. That's really cool. Like you're uh, you're getting pulled into to the music as as usual. And um, speaking of, you know, you, you did did do a recording with your wife recently, and 
Well, tell us about that. Yeah, I and my wife is a singer-songwriter. She's put out uh she is really a talented musician and um she's always always uh putting out content and music uh continually. And I I I've always awesome. I've never had a real strong musical sensibility. I mean, sorry, let me let me restate it. I actually have a very strong musical sensibility. I don't have the talent and the I can't play I can play a guitar, but I, I don't play guitar and I I can't really sing. Um, but what I do love to do, probably, it's probably pretty obvious as a marketer, I love to write. And I love to write creatively. And so since in our 20, it was at the time, our 20 years, our 20th anniversary happened to hit during COVID. And uh, we had written a couple of things together where I'd pass some lyrics over to her and she'd turn it into a song and they'd show up on a CD or two every once in a while. But for our 20th anniversary, everything shut down. We had plans to go see a band at Red Rocks with the Avid Brothers. And this was like our oh. big 20th anniversary. We we were locked in. And uh, and I, I really was trying to say, like, how do we make this event meaningful for us? And uh, we agreed that day that we were going to write an album together. And so we wrote an album that really uh, summarized for me. It was like a time capsule of what was going on both locally, uh, nationally, globally, how that impacted us as a family and as a family mm-hmm. unit, as a couple. And it was really pretty intense, actually, a pretty intense self-reflection of what was happening. I mean, so much was happening at that time. Yeah. And we were raising kids. We were locked into our house. Like there just there was no outlet to be able to express that. So we did that in our album called Where We're At. And it was just like a, a quick self-assessment at 20 years where we're at as a, as a couple and how the events themselves sort of have their, uh, from a global standpoint to local and regional, it really has an impact on a, on a family unit. And uh, that was the album yeah. to explore that. It's pretty cool. I love that. Where some of the musical influences, uh, you know, the love of music that you both share, what were some that you guys drew from for that album? Well, we, we really love a lot of the, music that surrounds sort of Americana or alt country. I mean, I think of Wilco, I think of a lot of more acoustic sort of driven bands. I think of actually the Avid Brothers are a huge influence. We used to love together, we discovered, you know, Indigo Girls and lots of things where her voice actually, um, you know, really plays to it. And I'd say Brandy Carlisle, that kind of music where, where I hear her in the music that uh, that they sing they they sound they have sort of similar qualities so that draws us in and we actually had laid out on our album sort of how like what feeling we wanted to give it and what bands inspire us and we worked with a, a producer an amazing producer we hired locally that got us that sound on on our album across the album um and he himself was just it was like another google moment working with a guy like this he himself had um, recorded some pretty incredible people at a pretty incredible studio. We we got triply lucky about maybe yeah. it was COVID and business was slow and they needed they needed us. Love it. But I think he was I think he was really brought into the story. So he he actually the place we recorded our album was uh, the same place that Seattle like got on got on the world stage. It was a place called London Bridge Studios, Pearl Jam. Soundgarden, Brandy Carlisle got her start there, Allison Chains, you name it. It was a pretty hard rock studio. Love. And the person that produced our album, Jonathan Plum, he was a sound engineer, 19, at the time that those bands were coming up. 
And he ended up, uh, the owner who went on to become uh, Rick Parshar, who be- became one of the biggest producers of grunge. He actually passed away at an early age and Jonathan bought the studio and continues to curate it as this, I mean, it's not a real flashy place, but it's got all the history. It's like what you'd expect a place where grunge took place. He maintains that studio. We got an opportunity based on some local relationships to be able to work with him and have him have a hand at that, that album. Give you props and commend you. And I think like just exploring that artistic collaboration with, you know, someone you love, your wife. And I, I can imagine like, you know, she's singing, you're writing, like, was there a moment when you, when you're like, just filled with joy where I, I'm surprised, like, is that something where you were like, I didn't know we could do that. Or did you always know you could team up with her on things like that? One of the things that really initially drew me to her was she has a beautiful voice and I, and I'm, I love the fact she's an artist, right? So um, one of the That's things awesome. that I think there was a moment where we were, we were like, I think we can do this. And actually there were many moments throughout our, that time frame. It took us over a year and a half to write. Wow. And uh, we have, you know, something like 10, 12 songs on the album. So we actually used to, because of COVID, we had tons of uh, different free time to be able to take walks. So we, we had something amazing in common to be able to build together. And that became our central thesis, like in outside of our work lives, we had something that we could focus on that built us up. I love that. It was a really cohesive time for us to be able to do that. And uh, yeah, I, I, we, we loved the idea of creating something that we love together and that our kids could forever understand that moment uh, and be able to look back. And maybe they'll get some insight one day about who we were as people and not just wow. as parents and understand that. So that was the, the impetus behind behind the album that's just awesome and commendable i think a lot of people want or strive for something like that and i think that's just an awesome representation of the art and where you were at the time like you said like that where we're the, at that's <laughs> where we're at that's really cool but it, it also amazing to kind of get a little taste of seattle you know rock and music history and you got to got to be involved in that studio where all that magic happened as well so that, that's that's amazing it's a common thread, I think. I think it's a real common thread with with what I love. Yeah. I mean, I stick with things I really love, and uh, I love the performance space. I love music. I love to create. I love creativity, and I love the creativity within the space itself. And all the the individuals that make up the space, they are among the smartest and among the most innovative people I've ever met, and they continue to to impress me. Every time I meet them, it's just, it's like, it's like a well of, of uh, inspiration for me. So I, now I understand it better why these things fit together. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I think people, I don't, don't think always realize the creativity levels that go into product, that go into performance marketing, that go into a lot of these things and how much innovation happens at the partner level and software level and at the marketing level, there's we're all kind of in it together, rowing in a similar direction. And um, it's cool and commendable that you you certainly see that at the, at the forefront of it. So I did have an experience at this company called Teespring, where it actually, a lot of this stuff came together. The idea was it was a digital platform to be able to express yourself through creating, turning your ideas into physical product. In the case of us, it was uh, t-shirts. And it also was heavily dominated by performance marketers because 
not only the platform itself was take your idea, upload it onto a t-shirt, and then go create a campaign around that. If you get enough people to buy the t-shirt, it tip the campaign and the actual production costs, you know, you could do it for free. You could use the platform for free and the production costs came down. So it, it was another one of the cases that attracted sort of creativity, digital commerce, platforms, and in particular, seeing the white space, um, seeing the space where things are not happening uh, and being able to go after those. And it was a, it was a fun time. I actually worked with Robert uh, once again at Teespring. That's awesome. Back in the day when, when we explored that, that space together. Yep. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now, now you get to kind of create that, that creativity and innovation and bring that, bring that to impact. And that's amazing. You touched on the Seattle, you know, kind of theme and music, and I'd love to maybe wrap up with some fun question and around on that, like, is there a Seattle artist that you feel is uh, underrated or one of your faves over the years? When we were in Chicago getting ready to move here, we were very pulled in by a band, uh, The Head and the Heart, which it just sort of, it had everything. It had sort of the emotive quality and the drama. The, the It captured the atmosphere of Seattle quite a bit, just the changing weather and the changing textures. And we really loved uh, the Head and the Heart. So actually, on upon our trip to move out here, we had purchased some tickets to go see them in Chicago, and they were the first show we saw when we were uh, when we moved here at the Paramount Theater. And so I, I'd say they. I'm a big Brandy Carlisle fan. I love that kind of music and her flexibility in artistry. But Head and the Heart just have this place for us. It reminds me of Seattle and uh, and our big change. And being able to take a family that has spent the greater part of our lives, you know, in Chicago and make a big move late, later in my life and, and be able to find home, you know, in a new in a new city. So I, I'll wow. go with having the heart for the purposes of this exercise. That's amazing. Mic drop moment and uh, like inspirational and awesome in some ways. I, I like to follow up with some witty quib, but I think you just, you just blew the doors off this pod and uh, you impressed the heck and out of everybody with your experience and the transparency and honesty with the journey. And I'm, I'm grateful, man. It was an amazing, amazing chat as always. Thank you, sir. No, it's, it's always fun to talk to you and to, uh, you know, you've had pl- plenty of journey yourself and I feel like our lives keep intertwining. At one point you lived here and then you moved away. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it hasn't hasn't uh, kept us hasn't kept our conversations from uh, from it just makes it more interesting and expands our our universe a lot more uh, as we are you bet. both in places. So it's been a pleasure to to chat with you on this and thanks for having Likewise. me on the show. Anytime, Brian. Pleasure to have you. And um, obviously, for those who who are wanting to learn more, Brian Marcus, Senior Director of Product at Impact. Where can they find you if they want to maybe learn more or, or reach out or ask questions? They can find me at brian.marcus uh, at impact.com. Love it. And uh, always a pleasure. Have an awesome rest of your evening. And uh, we'll talk soon. See you, Brian. Thanks, Ty. Take care.